Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This week on Viewpoints. There will be no women among their leadership. There will be no women ambassadors as there have been. There'll be no women in any kind of council that they form. What the Taliban takeover means for the people of Afghanistan. Then, if you'd gone back in a time machine, you'd have seen T-Rex chasing a triceratops. What really happened to the dinosaurs? I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. the savings event of the season. Progressive's Home and Auto Bundle Extravafesta Savathon. Your chance to save big by bundling your home and auto insurance. But only this Sunday. 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 Unless you're busy, in which case you can bundle Tuesday. 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 Or if you already have dinner plans, then try Friday. 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 But if the week gets away from you, you can just wait till next Sunday. 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 Because Progressive's Home and Auto Bundle Extravafesta Savathon isn't going anywhere. 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 Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Blue Star medicated ointment gets five-star reviews from our loyal users for fast relief of the pain and itch of almost any skin irritation. Blue Star soothes insect bites and fungal infections. It really works on the summer rashes I get every year. I had psoriasis on my elbows. Blue Star worked wonders. Amazing stuff. Mirror bit on and the itch is gone. Look for the white box with the Blue Star in the first aid section. Feel Blue Star work fast or your money back. Afghanistan is home to 38 million people. Just in Kabul alone, the country's capital, there are 4 million residents. In recent weeks, much of this population is questioning the country's future as the Taliban have regained political power and control. As fear spreads, thousands have fled to neighboring countries or abroad. But what's next for the millions who remain? We recognize that Afghanistan, that they are now controlling is not the same Afghanistan as it was in the 1990s. But their basic mission, as they see it, has not changed. And that is to establish a fully genuine, as they see it, Islamic State. And so the, in terms of their principles, those remain the same. However, their methods, their tactics, will be very likely very different. That's Dr. Marvin Weinbaum, a professor emeritus of political science at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. He's also currently the director of Afghanistan and Pakistan Studies at the Middle East Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan think tank and cultural center based out of Washington, D.C. Weinbaum says that while the Taliban of today is different in some ways compared to that of 20 years ago, their driving mission is essentially the same and that is to establish a government driven by strict Islamic values. They are prepared to at least give the 
impression that they have a big tent in which everybody can join. But the fact is, of course, that to enter the tent, you've got to do it on their terms. They would love to have international recognition and assistance. The question is, what are they prepared to do to accommodate the demands of the outside community? We can't make that judgment based on what they're saying right now. We have to judge them when the journalists leave and they have to govern in effect. And even then, the governance will be different in the cities than it is at the rural areas. And even among the rural villages and small cities, it will differ. So, who exactly are the Taliban? And how did the organization form? They emerged in 1994, coming out of mainly religious schools, madrasas, inside Pakistan. They emerged as a result of a great deal of unhappiness with what was going on in Afghanistan. It was a civil war in which the Mujahideen, the victors over the Soviets, had been fighting among themselves, and the country really was in a state of anarchy. So they went in for the reasons of, uh, of trying to provide a certain degree of stability. And they moved in earlier with the assistance of the Pakistani Ministry of Interior. The armed group ruled Afghanistan up until 2001, when U.S. forces and allies invaded following the events of 9-11. Between 1994 and 2001, the Taliban were recognized as a formal Islamic nation by three countries. Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Pakistan. During this period, Taliban leaders placed many harsh restrictions on the population. Religious minorities faced abuse and persecution, while women were banned from getting an education or working a regular job. Anyone who didn't obey the stringent rules risked being publicly beaten, amputated, or executed by Taliban militants. Weinbaum says that only time will tell how the Taliban will rule in 2021. As they vie for international recognition as a legitimate government, their statements have appeared more diplomatic than in previous history, at least for the time being. But some are not waiting around to see what will happen, especially those who were part of the previous government. The Taliban are making a point now of saying they don't intend to hold these people accountable for their past associations. But that remains to be seen. Every sign that they gave earlier was that they would have these people held responsible for what they did when the foreigners were there. These people have reason to be concerned about their well-being. Honestly, I believe that this will vary from place to place as to who will be singled out, perhaps for retribution. So this is why you see the desperation particularly among those people who have had this kind of association with foreigners and with the Kabul government itself at at least a fairly high level. For the general population, the Taliban takeover is also a hard pill to swallow. It means an end to many of the modern freedoms people have experienced over the last two decades. And with so many years passing since the Taliban lost power, a significant proportion of the population has lived their entire lives without the harsh restrictions they once imposed. For women specifically, the impact is large. And it starts with what a female is allowed to wear. We know right now from what is happening that women are told, okay, 
but now you've got to put on this full chadri, as it's called there, or given other names. This means a full veil. This means a mesh veil. It's something that these women have not grown up and have watched perhaps people in the rural areas wear this kind of dress, but they're not going to take too very easily, but we'll have no choice. While the modern Taliban have said that women will be afforded more freedoms than in the past, such as the ability to get an education, there are already limits to what they are permitted to achieve. There will be no women among their leadership. There will be no women ambassadors as there have been. There'll be no women in any kind of council that they form here. So, no, women will be excluded from any positions really of decision-making in any form. This is clear. How much they will be allowed to take any work positions is interesting because a large portion of the civil service now is made up of women. And this is important because they are the breadwinners here. This current government put these people to work. It was the, they were the major employer in the country by far. The Taliban, given their administrative aspirations and capacities, will have far less need for women or in general civil servants, at least for a long time. So we're talking about economic hardship on a large scale. In recent years, under the Afghan government, the urban areas in the country have boomed. Boutique businesses, entertainment, and other local economies have steadily grown. But all of these industries are in limbo now. What you have today is a very vibrant economy and society. Now, it's still a very poor country. It has never lived up to the potential that many people thought it had. It's had enormous shortcomings. But I was in Afghanistan when the Taliban were in control. And it was in Kabul and Jalalabad were, were really graveyards. You didn't see any people on the street. Today, as I say, it's a very vibrant community, certainly the urban areas. The rural areas have not changed all that much, but their expectations have changed. They expect more from a government than they did in the past. This is going to be a very difficult transition for them. Many of them, therefore, see the only future for themselves, since there is not likely to be much of an economy for a long time. They have no choice in order to have a livelihood of any kind to do everything they possibly can to leave. Now, this is the urban population. People who stay will just have to get by accepting the religious and cultural demands that the Taliban make. And these will be very difficult for them. But if they find it's impossible for them to leave or they do take a chance in staying on, they are going to be struggling considerably. The world is watching to see what will happen in the coming weeks and months to Afghanistan as the country and its people shift to a new life under Taliban rule. To find out more about this topic, our guest Dr. Marvin Weinbaum and organizations that are helping the Afghan people, visit viewpointsradio.org. To learn more about the Middle East Institute, go to mei.edu. To get more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, paleontologists today are still digging up dinosaur secrets when Viewpoints returns.
I'm looking forward to a play date with my granddaughter. Nana! <laughs> I can't wait to get together with my friends for a backyard barbecue. If you're 65 or older, you're starting to get back to doing things you love. Did you know even healthy adults 65 and older are at increased risk for pneumococcal pneumonia? It's a potentially serious bacterial lung disease that can disrupt your life for weeks. Help protect yourself with the Prevnar 13 pneumococcal 13 valent conjugate vaccine, diphtheria CRM197 protein. Prevnar 13 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 13 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 13 does not protect against all strains of the disease. Ask your doctor or pharmacist today about Prevnar 13. Learn more at Prevnar13.com. Don't get Prevnar 13 if you have had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with a weakened immune system may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-866-694-9300 or visit Prevnar13.com. I struggled with symptoms like frequent gas and stomach pain for years. I was bloated all the time with daily diarrhea. At first, I thought it was what I was eating. I kept thinking it was stomach issues. So I did my research and talked to my doctor, and we finally uncovered the truth. It, it was, was actually EPI. Exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, or EPI, is a condition where your pancreas is unable to help break down your food. It can lead to symptoms like diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, unexplained weight loss, and oily stools. And EPI symptoms can be confused with those of other common digestive conditions, like irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's, and celiac disease. So getting to the right diagnosis meant being more open with my doctor about the severity of my symptoms and how often they were happening. But there's good news. EPI is manageable, so don't wait any longer. Use the symptom checker at identifyepi.com and schedule a visit or call with your doctor to ask, Could, could I, I have, have EPI? EPI? Sponsored by AbbVie. How old were you when you learned about dinosaurs? Were you fascinated by these towering reptiles? Even if you never went through a dino phase, you have to admit, they're pretty awesome. Studying these creatures was more than a side interest for Michael Benton, a professor of vertebrate paleontology at the University of Bristol in England. He's also the author of the new book, Dinosaurs, New Visions of a Lost World. Benton's research focuses on one of the greatest prehistoric mysteries of all time, dinosaur extinction. You might have learned that a giant asteroid is responsible for wiping out the dinosaurs, and you're correct. This theory has been accepted since the 1980s. But Benton got to thinking, what if there's more to add to the storyline? Would our favorite dinosaurs, like the T-Rex and Triceratops, still be here if the asteroid had missed Earth? He hoped to answer that question in a recent article published in the journal Nature Communications. We found in two studies, we did a global scale study in 2016, and then we did a study particularly on North American dinosaurs just published a few weeks ago, 2021. And in both of those, we found a dramatic downturn something like 20 or 30 million years before the end of the Cretaceous, the, the last period of 
the Mesozoic. And so that it seems that certain groups of dinosaurs that in, within individual localities, they were kind of doing okay. There's nothing to worry about. If you'd gone back in a time machine, you'd have seen T-Rex chasing a triceratops and a herd of, these are the spiky horned ones with horns on their faces. The triceratops would form a ring and to defend their babies and the T-Rex would be grunting with disapproval and so on. But summed up over the whole world or even over the whole of North America, it seems it was just at the beginnings of a downturn. So how did paleontologists notice this decline? They used the entire fossil record to find the rate of replacement or how quickly new dinosaur species were popping up. What they found added a whole new perspective to the story. So we repeated the thing. When we did this in 2016, a lot of people were very unhappy. No, no, this can't be right. Blah, 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 blah. You didn't think about this or that or the other thing. And so we repeated the one with a different data set, focusing in on North America, where the record is probably the best in the world for the last millions of years of the dinosaurs, and got the same result, absolutely. And the methods we use repeat the calculations billions of times. Every possible permutation, every possible change of conditions, the pattern is clear. It's a decline every time. The data prove that there were other forces slowly pushing dinosaurs out the door. Some paleontologists believe climate change is responsible. Benton says that these creatures enjoyed the warm weather of the Mesozoic era, but as the Earth's geography changed and temperatures slowly dropped, dinosaur numbers fell before the asteroid. When I started looking at the extinction of the dinosaurs, there were two very definite viewpoints. And the traditional view, the older view back in the 1960s and 70s, was that dinosaurs declined gradually over 40 or 50 million years and this was maybe connected with mountain building episodes as the earth broke up and the continents moved apart, which could have made parts of the world uninhabitable. But then the impact idea became accepted. It was first sort of rejected. People thought, no, 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 this is far too dramatic and amazing. And no, it's ridiculous. But of course, the evidence piled up, and there is no doubt. And we have the crater. The crater is in Mexico. Until now, these two viewpoints rarely overlapped in conversation. Benton says that although the global fossil record is incomplete, both extinction theories of the steady and sudden collapse of the dinosaurs can be proven true. One key piece is the North American fossil record, which has far less gaps than other countries like Australia and China. Benton focused his research on these fossils and got a more accurate picture of what happened to the dinosaurs. So what it's telling us is that there's a little bit of truth in both of the original ideas. And this is not us compromising just to try and be nice. Oh, well, you know, like a political debate. Well, people never compromise, but just sort of compromise. Oh, well, you gradualists were partly right. You catastrophists were partly right. It's based on the evidence. It's based on the data. And we had no particular expectation. Although I think we were clear that the asteroid did it. So there is no question the physical evidence that the asteroid hit the Earth in Mexico, the Chicxulub impact, 66 million years ago, is absolutely there. Benton says that isn't the only mass extinction event in Earth's history, but it appears to be the only one caused by an asteroid. Other events were typically triggered by massive volcanic eruptions that violently heated the atmosphere. 
the one that ended the dinosaurs happened 66 million years ago. That was the latest one. And going back, winding the clock back, there were another four or five big events. So we often talk about the big five, and this is why people sometimes refer to the present biodiversity crisis as the sixth mass extinction. Actually, the more we look, the more we seem to find. They don't happen regularly. They happen according to a catastrophe, some dramatic or shocking event that human beings have never seen. Hopefully, no barreling asteroids hit Earth anytime soon. Either way, with or without the impact, scientists are now fairly certain that dinosaurs were warm-blooded. So as the Earth's temperatures cooled, they would have eventually become extinct anyway. Temperatures coming down towards the levels they're at today, and the beginnings of the Antarctic ice cap, maybe 30, 40 million years ago, I don't think dinosaurs would have survived that. So I think even if the asteroid had not hit, they would have been continuing to decline. There were little bursts of warm temperature 50 million years ago and so on. That might have helped them a bit. But it got cooler about the time of the spread of grasslands over all the continents, maybe 30, 40 million years ago, I think they'd have gone out because they just couldn't have survived the cold winters. In some ways, this species is still around today. Benton points out that avian dinosaurs were the least affected by the asteroid's impact. These are dinosaurs with bird-like features. The birds survived. And as far as we can tell, only maybe three or four, maybe five species of birds survived through the extinction event. And I think the evidence is that they were ground dwellers. So there were things like ancestors of chickens and ducks that could sort of grub around on the ground. They were not dependent on flying and catching flying prey. But beyond that, what can we say? They survived. There were hundreds of species of birds went extinct, and it was just three or four species maybe survive through, from which we get all the 10,000 species of modern birds. So any guesses on what the next mass extinction event may look like? Benton says that sometimes we forget that extinction is a natural process. It makes way for new species to thrive. However, that doesn't give people a free pass to live irresponsibly. People are cutting down those rainforests in Brazil. There goes that valley, 27 unique species of beetles. There goes another valley. Whoops, there's another 32 species of unique beetle. Who cares about beetles? Well, those are species, and therefore this is adding up. And so it's almost certain that the figures are huge. And they're matching up to the levels we've had in the mass extinctions in the past, because they've, in the end, typically done for maybe 50% of species. And at this rate, I guess it will carry on. Yeah, what do we do? People know what we have to do. We have to stop cutting down the rainforest in Brazil. We have to stop wearing and throwing away plastic. We have to stop drinking out of plastic bottles and throwing them in the sea. All the obvious things, it's quite easy. We know what to do. And we just need people to actually do those things. We'll never get the chance to walk alongside the beasts of our childhood dreams, like in Jurassic Park. But we can help to slow the disappearance of other majestic creatures. You can learn more about Michael Benton's research in his new book, Dinosaurs, New Visions of a Lost World. You can also find archives of past shows and guests at viewpointsradio.org. Our writer this week is Scarlett O'Hara. Our executive producer is Amira Zaveri. Studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment.
Cardiovascular, or CV disease, is the number one killer of adults in the U.S., and millions of people trying to reduce their risk of a heart attack or stroke may unknowingly be taking medications that are not proven, nor FDA-approved to reduce cardiovascular risk. Let's hear from cardiologist Dr. John Osborne. Many people are unaware that after a failed outcome study, the FDA revoked the approval of phenofibrates when added to statins, as the risk outweighed the benefits to heart health. It's important to remember that statins, along with diet and exercise, can lower cardiovascular risk by about 25 to 35%, but persistent cardiovascular risk, which can lead to a life-threatening event, may remain. I would tell anyone still being prescribed phenofibrates, such as Tricor and Trilipics, with a statin to talk to their doctor about FDA-approved therapies for cardiovascular risk reduction. To learn more and get clear on the facts, visit itscleartomenow.com. Again. That's it's clear to me now.com. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine American culture, what's new and old in books, film, and entertainment. As the dog days of summer turn into fall, we'll break out the sweatshirts and spend more time inside. For me, fall means getting back to a regular reading schedule. With the typical summer distractions in the rear view, I love to spend September and October evenings with a good book. I usually read novels. I recently finished Blake Crouch's Dark Matter and loved it. Dave Eggers' books are always worth checking out, and nothing says Halloween like diving into some Stephen King. Carrie, maybe? Or how about Pet Cemetery? But this year, I'm focusing on reading some nonfiction books. They can often seem more daunting than reading a mystery or a thriller, but I've found mixing in some true stories really opens my mind and teaches me new things. I'm currently reading American Fire, a newer book about an arson spree in rural Virginia. I just read Broadcast Hysteria, which focuses on the history of radio and specifically Orson Welles' often misunderstood War of the Worlds show. And as a Hamilton fan, I have Ron Chernow's Alexander Hamilton book on my shelf, ready for when I feel inspired to dive into 800 pages of American history. Nonfiction books often sound like they're going to be long and arduous, something I have to get through instead of something I can enjoy. Back in college, I was assigned to read Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, and I remember feeling a total lack of motivation. But what I found was that the biggest task for me is really just getting the pacing of the book down. Once I have the storytelling style in my head, a nonfiction account can be just as compelling as any novel. Case in point, I then spent three hours on a bus doing nothing but reading in cold blood, and found myself somewhat disappointed when the bus ride ended before I finished the book. This year, I'm trying to read more nonfiction, and so far it has been anything but boring. Plus, I figure all of those novels aren't going anywhere. So when I feel the itch for some fiction, a good Agatha Christie whodunit will always be waiting. I'm Evan Rook. You take steps to stay healthy when at the pharmacy picking up vitamins or filling a prescription. May I help you? Take another healthy step right now and ask the pharmacist how Prevnar 13 can help protect you from pneumococcal pneumonia, a potentially serious bacterial lung disease. If you're 65 or older, a trip to the pharmacy is a lot more pleasant than a trip to the hospital because of pneumococcal pneumonia. Help protect yourself with the Prevnar 13 pneumococcal 13-valent conjugate vaccine, diphtheria CRM197 protein. 
Prevnar 13 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 13 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 13 does not protect against all strains of the disease. Stop by the pharmacy today and ask about Prevnar 13. Learn more at Prevnar13.com. Don't get Prevnar 13 if you have had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with a weakened immune system may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-866-694-9300 or visit Prevnar13.com. That's Viewpoints for this week. Viewpoints is a production of MediaTrax Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24.